This is CME on ReachMD. The following activity, titled Novel Interventions for Preventing and Reducing Pain Crisis in Sickle Cell Disease, is provided by Axis Medical Education and supported by an educational grant from Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Prior to beginning, please be sure to review the faculty information and disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Here's your host, Dr. Julie Cantor. Hello, and welcome to this educational activity titled Novel Interventions for Preventing and Reducing Pain Crisis in Sickle Cell Disease. I am Dr. Julie Cantor, Associate Professor of Hematology and Oncology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I am lucky to be joined today by Dr. Joy Ogunshale, Assistant Professor of Hematology and Oncology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Thank you, Dr. Cantor. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Please note that there's a disclaimer and disclosure that we may refer to some off-level agents or agents in development. We also have financial disclosures for your review. In brief, here are the learning objectives for this activity today. We want to examine acute and chronic complications associated with sickle cell disease. We want to formulate optimal treatment plans for the management of individuals with sickle cell disease based on efficacy and safety of disease-specific therapies and current guideline recommendations. We also want to formulate optimal treatment plans for acute pain management in individuals presenting with acute crisis or vaso-occlusive crises. Finally, we'll evaluate data on novel therapies for the prevention of VOC in patients with sickle cell disease and how they may be used in future management strategies. Okay, let's get it started. Let's start with a review of sickle cell disease and associated complications. So it's important to note that even though sickle cell disease is a rare disease, it is fairly common in the United States and affects up to 100,000 individuals. At least 60% of those individuals are adults, and in the United States, about 90% are black or African and African American, and about 10% are Hispanic. When we look at genotypes present in the United States, about 60% have hemoglobin SS type disease, about 30% have SC disease, and the other 10% is mostly represented by S beta thalassemias. All right, let's start with the molecular pathophysiology of sickle cell disease. Starting in the first circle on the top, we know the primary initial problem in sickle cell disease is the abnormal sickle hemoglobin. That hemoglobin polymerizes when deoxygenated, resulting in the characteristic sickle shape of a red blood cell. We also know those red cells are fragile and easily break apart, releasing free heme. That free heme causes ongoing endothelial dysfunction and inflammation. This inflammation is then perpetuated by white blood cells and platelets. And all together, platelets, white cells, and sickled hemoglobin will result in vasoocclusion. So while it seems like these events are discrete, we know they really overlap during both steady state and during a vasoocclusive crisis. The result of this is significant complications that affect every organ in the body. Unfortunately, in sickle cell disease, there's not a single organ that is unaffected. Brain, the kidneys, lungs, Every organ, including skin, muscle, bone, and even teeth, are affected in sickle cell disease. We don't have time to review all of the complications, but please note that every organ system can be affected by this disease. We've seen significant improvement in sickle cell disease and mortality in children in high-resource countries. 
childhood survival is 96 to 99 percent for all genotypes. While this is really exciting, we are not seeing this significant improvement in adults. And unfortunately, we still have a great bit of deaths in the 25 to 54 year olds. The surveillance data from Georgia and California has given us our most recent information, still showing that the average lifespan, unfortunately, is only 41 to 43. And when you look at this graph, I want to point out the most recent 2014 data, which continues to show the significant increase in mortality in young adults. We clearly need more new agents to improve outcomes in sickle cell disease. As a quick reminder about vaso-occlusive crises in sickle cell disease, it is truly a multicellular adhesive process. It is not just sickled red cells, but instead is sickled red cells, neutrophils, platelets, and the endothelium interacting. Dr. Gunchale, can you tell us a little more about vaso-occlusive crises in sickle cell disease? Sure, Dr. Cantor. So let's transition to understanding the implications of vaso-occlusion and vaso-occlusive crises. To begin with, we'll start with a discussion of pain. Pain uh, is well known to be the hallmark of sickle cell disease. It is the primary reason people seek care, and we believe that this pain is due primarily to vaso-occlusion. Pain is present throughout life in over 50% of affected individuals. However, it's always important to remember that not all pain in sickle cell disease is VOC pain, and that patients with sickle cell disease can have pain due to other reasons. VOCs, what are they and why do they occur? So, Normally, red blood cells are donut-shaped and flexible, rolling through the vasculature, supplying oxygen nutrients to the body. However, in sickle cell disease, the RBCs are sickled and have different properties, so that they're more likely to stick to the endothelial cells and the inside of the blood vessels. In addition, white blood cells and activated endothelial cells can trigger adhesive interactions with sickle RBCs and other white blood cells and platelets due to chronic vascular damage. So they're also playing a role. This all contributes to the blockage of small blood vessels that results in vaso-occlusion. So when we think of vaso-occlusive crises, these are recurrent episodes of vaso-occlusion that can lead to severe, unpredictable acute pain that may require hospitalizations in people with sickle cell disease. The role of the endothelium is important in vaso-occlusion. Endothelial cells also play a pivotal role in regulating blood flow and fluid filtration. They're very important in participating in hemostasis and neutrophil recruitment. Alterations of endothelium impacts multiple areas of the body and contribute to peripheral vascular disease, stroke, heart disease, chronic kidney disease, among other conditions. Ongoing vaso-occlusion and vaso-occlusive crises are associated with increased risk for organ damage, organ failure, and death. Damage occurs due to vaso-occlusion, blood vessel damage, and secondary complications, as discussed before. It's important to remember that ongoing inflammatory responses, cell activations, and multicellular adhesions contribute to tissue damage. Vaso-occlusions and VOCs are associated with decreased organ function and can result in life-threatening complications. Vaso-occlusion can also affect the quality of life of children and adults. Psychological complications of sickle cell disease include depression, anxiety, and catastrophizing. Affected individuals often have to miss school, work, due to sickle cell disease-related complications. And their concerns for VOC may prevent individuals from engaging with others or pursuing certain activities. 
Multiple studies have shown that the effects of sickle cell disease can impact quality of life for people living with this disease. Results from multiple studies show that as pain increases with age, and this can decrease quality of life, uh, people living with sickle cell disease have difficulty with treatment adherence um, due to vasoocclusion occlusion that occurs in the brain and cognitive um, impairment. Uh, there is uh, difficulty with transitioning to adulthood due to reduced access to health care, hospitalizations that also isolate them from social support. And then there's also issues academically. Um, all these things contribute to decreased quality of life in these patients. VOCs are associated with increased emergency department visits and hospitalizations, um, increased morbidity compared to African Americans in the U.S., Patients with sickle cell disease are 7 to 30 times more likely to be hospitalized than African-American patients without sickle cell disease, and they're 2 to 6 more times more likely to visit an ED than African-Americans without the disease, resulting in an increased cost utilization of $2.4 billion a year. Thank you. I think quality of life is so important when we talk about sickle cell disease and is especially important when we discuss the current available therapies, including hydroxyurea, L-glutamine, blood transfusion, stem cell transplant, and pain management. We're going to review these current therapies now. Hydroxyurea really remains the mainstay of therapy for sickle cell disease. It was the first FDA-approved medication that was shown to decrease the occurrence of these terrible acute vaso-occlusive crises. We also know that maximum tolerated doses of hydroxyurea are not always necessary for therapeutic effect. Pediatric studies have also shown that it is safe and highly effective in children with sickle cell disease. L-glutamine is really the new kid on the block. Now this is pharmaceutical grade L-glutamine, not the same L-glutamine that you're going to buy at GNC or another health food store. In a phase three trial of L-glutamine, we saw a significant decrease in the number of pain crises. In fact, there was a 25% decrease. We also saw 30% lower hospitalizations and a reduced number of acute chest syndrome. When we think about transfusion therapy, there are three main ways we give transfusions. We give them by simple transfusions, manual exchanges, or automated red blood cell exchanges using apheresis. There are, unfortunately, several complications associated with transfusion therapy. Alloimmunization, where an individual may build antibodies to red cells, iron overload, hyperhemolytic transfusion reactions, as well as transfusion-associated circulatory overload. So why do we use transfusions in sickle cell disease? Well, primarily, we use chronic transfusion therapy for stroke prevention. This can be for primary stroke prevention in individuals who have abnormal blood flow in the brain, who have not experienced a stroke, or for secondary stroke prevention in individuals who have unfortunately had a stroke. We've also seen efficacy in individuals who have had recurrent acute chest syndrome. In the acute setting, we sometimes need transfusions as well. This can be for severe symptomatic anemia, for acute chest syndrome, for someone who has an acute stroke, or someone who cannot make red cells, usually caused by a virus. It is important that we do not use transfusions for simple vaso-occlusive crises and reserve them for when they are most needed. 
What about pain management in sickle cell disease? Without question, aggressive opioid therapy is the mainstay for acute vaso-occlusive crises in sickle cell disease, and that is intravenous opioid therapy. Pain plans must be individualized for affected patients. Opioid medication should be dosed individually, given in regular intervals, with frequent reassessment to assess the effect of that pain control. And chronic pain management remains poorly understood. Therapy is less guideline-based and should be assessed on an individual basis. There are curative strategies in sickle cell disease. Stem cell transplant is a known cure for sickle cell disease. We know that optimal outcomes are achieved when individuals have a matched sibling donor. However, unfortunately, many individuals do not have a matched donor. As a result, we are studying alternative donors with either unrelated donors or half-matched donors, and these are in development. We are also trying to identify if autologous gene therapy and gene editing is an option for a curative therapy for sickle cell disease. Now let's look at the novel therapies for prevention of sickle cell disease. I want to start first with looking at the targets that we're looking to improve. When we look at the blood vessel and the different components that we talked about in sickle cell vaso-occlusive crises, we note that one of the first things we can target is the red cell itself. We can attempt to stabilize the hemoglobin inside the red cell or increase the fetal hemoglobin or baby hemoglobin, which prevents sickling. The next major target we want to talk about is again whether we can prevent that hemoglobin from sickling with a small molecule that binds to the hemoglobin itself. We want to prevent adhesion to the endothelium. This can both prevent vaso-occlusion, but also hopefully prevent some of the scarring that can occur. We are also looking at antiplatelet medications to see how this can help reduce vaso-occlusive crises. And finally, hemolysis, or the release of free heme, remains toxic and inflammatory to the bloodstream. We are also trying to understand if nitric oxide replacement can help combat this inflammation. Dr. Ogunsole, can you tell us about the new therapies in development for sickle cell disease? Sure, Dr. Cantor. I will start all the discussion talking about GBT-440 Voxalator. It's a once-a-day agent that in preclinical trials showed that it prevented sinkling of RBCs. The Voxalator trials were designed to see the anti-polymerization effects on decrease in fatigue, organ damage, mortality, and pain crisis. Voxalator inhibits hemoglobin polymerization, decreasing RBC damage, and reducing hemolysis and improves anemia. The results of the trial showed that Voxalator significantly increased hemoglobin levels and reduced markers of hemolysis. It is very interesting. The Voxalator trials clearly improve hemoglobin, but we'll have to wait long-term to see if there's any effect on organ damage or pain crises. In November 2019, the FDA granted accelerated approval to Voxelator for the treatment of sickle cell disease in adults and pediatric patients 12 years of age and older based on results of the HOPE trial. Reducing inflammation is also important in sickle cell disease, as well as reducing cellular adhesion. Anti-inflammatory modulators in sickle cell disease include nitric oxide donors, arginine, and glutamine. Selectins mediate the white blood cell adhesion and rolling in sickle cell disease. Selectins are expressed on endothelial cells, platelets, 
and leukocytes, as well as other cell types. Selectins act like hooks to hold on to the white blood cells, platelets, and red cells as they roll through the endothelium. In fact, selectins themselves can actually initiate a vasoocclusion when the neutrophil binds to the inside of the endothelium. In sickle cell disease cellular and animal models, interruption of this selectin-mediated cellular adhesion can decrease erythrocyte and leukocyte adhesion and actually prevent vasoocclusion. The SUSTAIN trial examined crizinlizumab in individuals with sickle cell disease. This was a randomized, multicenter, phase two, placebo-controlled, double-blinded trial, which evaluated crizinlizumab, a monoclonal antibody to P-selectin. The SUSTAIN trial examined high-dose crizinlizumab at five milligrams per kilo, a middle dose of 2.5 milligrams per kilo, and placebo, and compared them over a one-year period. The drug is given intravenously, at week zero, week two, and every four weeks. And during the trial, this was carried out for an entire year. The primary efficacy endpoint was the annual rate of sickle cell-related pain crises, called SCPCs in this trial. When we look at the results of the sustained trial, we found that we met the primary endpoint in the high-dose group if everyone, regardless of whether they were on hydroxyurea or if they had hemoglobin SS disease or another genotype. So very exciting findings. In November 2019, the FDA approved crizinlizumab to reduce the frequency of vasoocclusive crises in adults and pediatric patients aged 16 years and older with sickle cell disease, based on results of the SUSTAIN trial. There are multiple clinical trials that have been looked at using crizinlizumab, using a similar panselectin inhibitor called rivapanzil or GMI-1070, and the voxelator trials that we've already reviewed. Finally, let's talk about how we develop these individualized plans for our patients. Dr. Ogunchale, can you tell us how to develop these individualized pain plans with our patients? Yes. So it's important to discuss a pain plan with individuals that includes information to manage pain at home and to end of when to seek care. It's important to have the viewpoints of other caregivers and also that the pain plan is readily available in the EMR system for other physicians and providers to view. The pain plan should reflect the perspectives, values, past experiences of the patient and or caregivers, and essentially is a shared decision-making plan. Having a pain plan can minimize stigma in sickle cell disease and improve aggressive, appropriate opioid therapy in acute VOCs. Here are some examples of an individualized care plan. So at home, the patient is advised to take ibuprofen 600 milligrams every eight hours, cyclobenzaprine 10 milligrams every 12 hours. But if the pain is severe or persistent, we'll ask the patient to add oxycodone 10 milligrams every three to four hours. We stress to the patient that hydration and rest is key. And then if pain is severe or if breathing is difficult or if they have a fever or neurological changes, any red flags at all, we ask the patient to call the physician or go to the emergency department. So in the acute setting, we ask that patients receive IV fluids, IV pain medications, along with supportive care. And if the patient has adequate renal function, we also would add IV toradol as an adjunct. If there is no improvement in their pain after all of these managements, uh, then we should admit the patient for further care and call the primary hematologist or physician. There is 
a pain plan toolkit provided by AXIS that may be helpful in this scenario. Thank you so much for discussing this exciting data with me today. Dr. Ogunchale, it is really important that we understand how to use these individualized care plans and provide the best team-based care for our patients. I'm certainly excited that our audience has been able to join us in this activity today. Let's review some key takeaways. Our conclusions today are that sickle cell disease is a common, rare disease with multiple disease-specific acute and chronic complications. We need to formulate optimal treatment plans to manage individuals living with sickle cell, assess patients' needs and their concerns, and current guideline recommendations. Together, we can then make an adequate treatment plan for an affected individual. Vaso-occlusion can cause both organ damage and pain, and again, individualized care plans are incredibly important. There are several new therapies in development and on the horizon in sickle cell disease. Team-based care and access to a hematologist remain key. Dr. Ogunchale, thank you again for joining me in this activity today. Thank you, Dr. Cantor, for having me. Thank you to the audience for your participation as well. This CME activity was provided by Axis Medical Education. To receive your free CME credit, please be sure to complete the post-test and evaluation by visiting reachmd.com slash Axis Med Ed. Thank you for joining us.